There's only a few windows left on your advent calendar. Christmas is close. We know the story of the Holy Family. We're going to hear it again in Mass. The Holy Family in Bethlehem for the census. Not room in the inn. And how can we really know, though, the reality of this story? It's over 2,000 years old. Well, I'm turning to our good friend this morning, Steve Ray, to get to the truth behind the scripture. Good morning, Steve. Happy end of the Advent season. Good morning, Brenda, and uh, it's kind of fun coming into Advent because we just had grandbaby number 20 a couple days ago, so it's kind of like baby Jesus coming. (laughs) Oh, what a blessing indeed, Steve. I became a grandparent for the first time, so I have one from the born in the summertime. I tell you what, grandchildren, they are a true blessing from God. It's a blessing for all the hard work that you've done for all the years. So what a wonderful, wonderful Christmas season to you as well. So, Steve, the story of the Holy Family, their travels to Bethlehem, that is a story that is 2,000 years old. How can we be sure that any of this actually really happened the way that the Scripture says it did? What do we have beyond that to know the story? Well, that's a big question. I'm glad that we have an hour. Um, <laughs> the uh, Most Americans have no idea where their great-grandparents are buried. If you ask, and I know I do on the buses a lot of times when I'm driving into Bethlehem with our groups. We've been there over 200 times, and probably one or two per bus raise their hand that they know where their great-grandparents are buried. i just say that the people of the East don't forget things as easily as we do. They have a way of memorizing and remembering those. 4,000 years ago, I'm just going to give a little story here and kind of lay the foundation for your answer to your question. 4,000 years ago, a man named Jacob, who was Joseph and Mary's great, 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 great grandfather, was traveling towards Bethlehem. And as he came to the entrance, his wife, Rachel, was pregnant nine months. She got off the camel, gave birth to Benjamin and died. 800 years later, King Saul lost his donkeys, asked Prophet Samuel, where are my donkeys? Can you help me? He says, go to the tomb of Rachel, and you'll find your donkeys 800 years later, even though they'd been in the land of Egypt for 450 years and certainly should have forgotten where she was buried. These people don't forget things like that. And when Joseph and Mary were coming to Bethlehem, don't think that Joseph didn't look over and see that tomb which is still there today, by the way. I've been in there. Uh, It's in my documentaries. Don't think Joseph didn't look over and see that tomb and say, oh my goodness, I'm in the same place Jacob was. My wife is nine months pregnant. I hope she is okay. Now, of course, people say, well, she didn't have to worry because it's the Son of God. God's going to take care of her. Then why did the the angel say, quickly, quickly, go to Egypt and Herod's going to kill the baby? Joseph was protecting. My point is, is that they don't forget those things. And when that baby was born in that cave in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, wise men came from the east, a very unusual thing for a small town of Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Sure. That's how it starts. It was just a small village. So all of a sudden, three or maybe more, we don't know how many there were, Wise men came to Bethlehem. The shepherds came with this amazing news. Herod commanded that all babies under two years old, baby boys, be killed. You know, those, that is a huge thing for a small village that has very few big things ever happen. 
So when the first pilgrims came and said to locals, well, where, where was it that that baby Jesus was born? The little boy in the main square would say, come, come follow me. Come, I show you, I show you. Then in 135, uh, Emperor Hadrian built pagan shrine over that spot to keep Christians from coming, to obliterate mm. Christianity. But in 313, Christianity was legalized. Queen Helen, his mother, Constantine's mother, came, asked the same little boy in town square, where was it that Jesus was born? He said, see that pagan shrine? It's right under there. She knocked the shrine down, and there was the cave still with the graffiti and the memorabilia. She built a huge church in 325 over that cave. And even today, millions and millions of people go down the steps into the grotto where that cave was, and they touch the place where Jesus was born. There's no question where he was born. Steve, you have been talking there, giving us a very complete history. I understand this. You keep saying the cave that Jesus was born in. Now, we think about a stable and not a cave. So what's right? Was he born in the stable or was he born in the cave? There's a, a great word called anachronism. And that word means that when you take something of your life and you read it into the past, so you, we have red barns with silos in the United States. Yes. Okay, so we read the story of a manger, and that's the indication right there. The manger is a big indication that he was born where animals lived. So we immediately assume, oh, it must have been a red barn with a silo with a white fence around it. But the reality was in Bethlehem, there were caves. They didn't have red barns. They didn't have the buildings, that kind of buildings we have. And even today... When you go outside of Bethlehem into the countryside around in the Judean wilderness, and I've done this in my movies, that I've do- my documentary movies I've made, you will find caves. And some of them still have Bedouin families living in the caves with their animals. The animals provide the warmth. The people provide the protection. The caves are cool in the summer and they're warm in the winter. And in Bethlehem, two miles to the east, there's a place called Shepherd's Field. It's owned by the Franciscans. And in there are several caves. And they still have, like all the other ones, the roof, the top of the cave is black from soot, from fires that have been built to keep the cave warm for centuries and even millennia. And there's also things on the ground that look like raisins, but they're not because sheep and goats live there. Mm-hmm. So there's they they leave their mess on the ground. And so when you go out into the caves, even today, you see that these shepherds have brought their sheep into those caves at night. They build a fire in the entrance. They sleep in the entrance and they protect their sheep. And just like Jesus said, I am the door. That's what he means. I'm sleeping in the entrance. And if the lion wants to get my cute little lambs, he'll have to go over my dead body to get them. And there were lions and bears in in the land of Israel. Even David says he killed them when they came after his sheep until the 13th century, and then they were hunted into extinction. But these caves are still there, and Mary and Joseph did not find a place for the baby, so they found a cave. That was used by animals. But it's very appropriate, isn't it, Brenda? Because where are sheep born? Where's the Lamb of God born? In a cave in a where cave. sheep are born. Absolutely. And they, this is, uh, and, and by the way, why were the shepherds the first to know about the birth of Jesus? Well, that's because the shepherds are always the first to know about the birth of a lamb. Oh, 
Absolutely beautiful. Steve Ray joining us today <clears throat> to talk about some of the truths and myths that we know about the Holy Family and the birth of Christ. So this is an interesting topic you brought. Now, it, it seemed like, you know, we know that Mary was the word heavy with child. Well, any woman in the nine month of pregnancy recognize how heavy it is at the end <laughs> of the pregnancy. And so because things were bustling because of the senses that, you know, he was born rather quickly from their arrival because there was no room at the end. So the day that the Holy Family arrived was that within a short amount of time, at least, the Christ child born. It would seem so. I, the scriptures don't tell us the exact uh, day or the hour. They didn't have clocks back then. So Joseph couldn't look at his watch and say, okay, the baby was born at 2.53 p.m. this afternoon. In fact, they, they would have to look up at the sky and see, get an idea where the sun was. That's why the Jews and the Romans divided times into three hours. It was the third hour. It was the sixth hour. It was the ninth hour because they didn't have clocks. So we don't know the exact time that Jesus was born, but it seems like it wasn't long after they got there because um, he had to find a place. And it seems like the baby was born pretty quick afterwards. And then the shepherds got this great news and they were told by the angels to go and see this baby. So, and Herod found out pretty quick too from the Magi but we don't know exactly the time that he was born. Okay. Steve Ray joining us today, telling us just some wonderful details about the story of the birth of Christ and some things maybe you didn't realize. Steve, I've enjoyed our conversation so much. I am coming up against my break, but I want to talk more about those shepherds and about those wise men that came to visit them after. Uh, will you stay with me through the break so we sure. can continue? Absolutely. And I am back with Jerusalem Jones. You might also know him as Steve Ray. He's joining us today as we have a conversation about the truths and some myths about the story of the birth of Christ. Steve, thanks so much for staying with us today. Sure. Uh, my pleasure. So in our first half hour, Steve, we were talking about those shepherds and how the shepherds obviously would be the first to know about the birth of of a lamb. But some say that there's no way that Jesus could have been born in at the end of December in the winter time because the sheep aren't out in the fields. So what's the truth behind that? Were they in the fields or not? Well, they the reason that some people say that is because it's too cold and there's right. snow and ice and the sheep, you know, you just don't take sheep out to eat. Well, whoever came up with that di idea must live in Minnesota or maybe in Michigan, because we had snow on the ground this morning. Um, the reality is I've been in Bethlehem over 150 times plus, and many of those times we take every year a pilgrimage called the Catholic uh, Family Holy Land Christmas Pilgrimage, where we take families. Now, this year we couldn't because of the war, but every year we've done that over or the Christmas break. And I'll tell you, their shepherds, the sheep are out eating in the fields because it's much more temperate there than it is in Michigan or Minnesota. And the sheep have to eat and they can go into the caves at night where it's warmer in the caves. And by the way, if you go out into the cold weather, or like I do, you put on a good wool coat. Now, where do you think they get the wool from? <laughs> Those no sheep have God-given protection against cold weather. I have been there in Bethlehem, where it snowed twice, and we got off the bus, and I had a little snowball fight with the Palestinian kids just for fun. We had a good time because they were so surprised to see the snow, too. 
So it does snow there, but it doesn't last more than 24 hours. And the um, the sheep have to eat, and they go out and they eat in the field. So um, it, this is a myth that they that oh. it couldn't be December 25th for that reason. Well, speaking of December 25th as being the date that we celebrate Christ, I've heard this about Easter as well, that Christmas is based on pagan festivals and that we are just trying to overtake with our own stories of what pagans were celebrating. Is is Christmas based on a pagan celebration? No, it's not. It's birth. It's based on the birth of Christ. Although it, the the uh, winter solstice uh, is based on the planet Saturn, and so people like to say, well, because uh, it's based on Saturn and it's during that time, and they used to put uh, ivy and greens around for wreaths, and so I mean that Catholics just fell for the paganism, and it's a pagan feast. But the reality is, is that this was celebrating the birth of Christ, not a pagan feast. And Catholics are smart. The church has always been very smart. And when it goes in to convert a people, it doesn't change everything that they do. It doesn't make them wear suits and ties all of a sudden instead of their native dress. It doesn't make them forget their festivals. What it does is it redeems those things. It redeems those things. And Easter is the same way. It's a spring. Jesus raises from the dead. The leaves come out. It all fits together. And um, the evergreen, of course, is a sign of what? It, it stays alive. It doesn't die. This is Christ coming alive and bringing new life to all of us. But the reality is, is that the church redeems things. When I became a Christian, I didn't paganize the church. Really, what happened is the church redeemed and sanctified me. That's what the church does. When Jesus, the lepers walked around, lepers with the disease, and they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, so people could get out of their way. Because if you touched them, you became unclean. But Jesus, he embraced the lepers. By embracing them, Jesus did not become a leper and contaminated. Rather, he healed and redeemed the lepers. Mm. This is what the church does. The church, when it embraces something, it doesn't become pagan. It Christianizes what is pagan. And this is what happened with many of those feast days. The people said, you know what? This is what we're, this was a maybe a prefiguration of what we were doing, something. And so we're going to go ahead and celebrate this as a Christian festival. And it's now been redeemed. We're going to do it that way. One last point on that is that when Paul went through the city of Athens, there was a it said that he was grieved by all the statues to all the gods, but he didn't criticize them. He actually complimented them for their religious um, their religious fervor and said, I noticed there was a altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you what his name is. So instead of knocking the statue down and accusing him, he says, I'm going to redeem that. And I'm going to tell you what his name is. And now you can worship the God, which you used to thought was unknown. There is always a good story behind what we do in our Catholic faith. And Steve Ray is joining us today to share more about it. Steve, one of the traditions, or we'll say things that my family did, my dad did for our grandkids, is that as we were leading up to Epiphany, he would move the wise men around the house and then tell the kids, oh, look, they're moving at night when we're not looking. Three of them came, three magi. Now, how can we know the exact story of who these three men were? Well, by the way, your father was one wise man to do that. (laughs) 
But we don't know how many there were, and we don't know their names, because Scripture doesn't tell us there were three, nor does Scripture tell us any names. We know those names from later tradition, probably oh. legend, and so we don't know that they had names. And we also don't know how many there were. There has been through the early years as many as two, as few as two, or as many as ten. So we don't know how many there were. The reason that we assume there were three is because there are three gifts. So we assume that here comes three camels with three wise men, each one's holding a wrapped presence with a bow in his lap on the camel ready to give to Jesus. But the reality is scripture only says the Magi arrived without any indication of names or where they came from or what their names are, how many there were. So, Steve, we, we understand what is happening during these days around the the Christmas tide, around Christmas season. With those wise men, they were supposed to travel back to Herod. And when Herod didn't hear from them, well, he made a decision to kill boys that were several years old. Right. So right. how does this timeline then fit into what we know about in Scripture? There's some discussion on that, and there are people that think that the wise men came much later, maybe even two years later, because Herod said kill boys two years and younger. So they might have been, Jesus might have been up to two years old. I don't think that's the case. I think they came relatively soon. The star, which doesn't need to be some comet or um, uh, conjunction of planets, because it says the star, the light, actually led them to the stable and then remained over top of the stable. That's not your average star. This is a, a miraculous supernatural star that brought them there. And we don't know when they came, but I have a speculation that Herod said two-year-old boys, not because Jesus would have been two years old at the time, but because he covered his bases. He was a ruthless man. He didn't, he didn't take any chances, and he wanted to make sure that any boy that was within any range of being born was killed. So kill everybody two and under, and I'll make sure I get along. The other thing is, is that the Holy Family was a poor family. They didn't have a lot of money, and we know that because they were supposed to offer a lamb for the purification and the presentation 40 days after Jesus was born. But they didn't have enough money for a lamb, so they took the second option, which was to bring two pigeons, turtle doves, and therefore they didn't have much money. How then, without a visa or a MasterCard, did Joseph afford to take his family all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which is a five-day walk, and then 250 miles to Egypt for maybe up to 18 months is what the tradition is. So I believe that when those wise men came, when Jesus was still a baby, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which was the way that you know, Joseph financed that trip because those are very extravagant, expensive gifts. I think they were a provision and a blessing from God the Father to enable Joseph to do all that he had to do to, to protect the son in his first years. And of course, coming up on December 28th, we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Innocents and that story of Herod going after the Christ child. Well, Steve, I feel like I need to say something like, now you know the rest of the story. Thank you so much for filling <laughs> us welcome. in. We offer Merry we, Christmas. Merry Christmas to you and have a wonderful new year. And we'll talk with you real soon. Thanks so much for joining Thank us. You.